I always like starting the, the, my, my talks, or at least down here, um, with, with the next question, but I always kind of, oh, I don't know if I should ask this, because I'm always going to leave somebody out. And I apologize to whomever I leave out. But, just so I kind of have a good idea, how many people in this room are physicians? So, a good number, good. Pharmacists? Or pharmacy students? How about pharmacy students? There's always a bunch of Cedarville and other places. Um, so, nursing? Good. PAs? Nurse practitioners? And then just maybe no medical degree, but you deal with malaria patients in wherever you're at. So good, a few of those as well. So, so uh, my, my goal with this is to try to, to gear this talk to all those groups. And that's not always very easy, but that's my, my goal um, as we talk about malaria medications. Um, I've also geared this, this presentation mostly towards the treatment of malaria, not a whole lot about the prophylaxis, but I'll kind of mention some of the medications that if you're going maybe on a short-term trip to Honduras, um, you know, what sorts of options there are available to you. Um, but again, this, this talk is primarily geared towards the, the treatment of actual malaria um, and, and as we go along with that. So feel free to stop me at any point in time if you have questions. I don't mind that. Or you can wait till the end, whatever works best for you. Um, house, clo or house closing, housekeeping sorts of material. Um, this is mainly for pharmacists. We, as a pharmacist, have to, are very strict, and so I have to put this statement in here that I'm going to talk about off-label um, malaria treatment. A lot of these medications that I'm going to talk about are not necessarily available in the United States, and therefore have never really gone through the FDA. Um, so that's the reason for this kind of, of housekeeping slide. Um, I forgot to kind of introduce myself. Oops. Um, I'm Charlie Mossler. I'm on the pharmacy faculty at the University of Finley College of Pharmacy, and I've been there for quite a few years. One of the things that, that we do with our pharmacy students um, is we actually teach a tropical medicine class. Uh, when I went through school as a pharmacist, I had five minutes on malaria um, at best. I don't even remember if we really even talked about it. And that was just prophylaxis. Um, so one of the options, it's an elective class, it's not a required class, but um, is, is for our students to take a tropical medicine class. It's co-taught by myself and another pharmacy professor. Um, so we, we have a fun time doing that sort of thing. We, we talk a lot about many different tropical diseases. And if any of you are in education um, or more interested in other topics that we do in that class, feel free to email me. We'll gladly share material with you, tell you how we do things, um, and, and go through that route. One of the, the very obviously interesting thing, you know, last year, Ebola in this class, we spoke, we, we talked about it for probably 20 minutes. This year, it seems like that's about all we've talked about because that's what the students in the class hear about, right? So it seems like every week we're talking about Ebola. Um, but how many of you were at the, the opening or the plenary session last night when they talked about malaria and how many people die per day of malaria? 1,700, I think, was the number that was thrown out. So... Obviously, a very devastating disease, just not one that gets in the news anymore. All right. Objectives are listed here. Um, as well, if, if you have an electronic device or when you get back to your hotel or get back home, these slides are available on the Global Medical Missions website. Um, so if you just find this presentation, um, you can get these, these same materials as presented here there. So malaria. How many of you have had malaria at one point in time? It's always fun to see how many people. Um, a lot of times there's students in the room, wow, 
people actually give malaria who, who live in the United States. And, and yeah, obviously. Um, I've been fortunate. I've never had malaria. Um, but I've done prophylaxis many, many times as well as many people here. Prophylaxis isn't always effective, right? Or for long-term missionaries, is probably not in their best interest to take it long-term. Um, so, so malaria, when we look at it, uh, malaria manifestations vary quite widely from geographic region to geographic region. Um, the actual types of malaria are going to vary widely as well, um, even from village and then person. It's like any disease, right? Why does person A get it, but person B that lives in, in right next door to that other person not get it? You know, probably same mosquitoes are flying back and forth. Why do we see that? And so different people get it differently, um, or not get it. Some of the, the reasons, or suspected reasons, as to why this is, mosquito biting habits. When do we usually think of mosquitoes biting? At dusk, right? As the sun's setting. And that's true for the vast, vast majority of mosquitoes that carry malaria. Um, but not true for all of them. Um, mosquito breeding habits, we usually think of as being in the wet season or in, um, in, in that type of year when there's a lot of moisture, water collecting, rain. Um, so that's usually what we think of. But some of these places, there's mosquitoes year-round. Um, parasite species, uh, there's something like 400 different plasmodium types and 100 plus of them actually cause malaria or can cause malaria in humans. We only really talk about four because that's the, the four that we usually see the most. Um, falsoparum, vivax, ovale, and then malariae. Which of those is the worst usually? Falsoparum. Very good. You guys are into it and awake. Um, and then genetic and acquired resistance of person. Some people, uh, maybe with sickle cell disease, kind of have that innate immunity or protection against getting malaria. So there's some genetic uh, and acquired resistance. And then compliance with treatment. Obviously, um, if, you, if you're a short-term missionary and you don't take your malaria medications, you're at increased risk. How many cases does anyone know of, of malaria we actually treat in the U.S. on an average year? Any guesses? Usually around 1,500 to 2,000, somewhere in that range. Now, how many of those were actually obtained in the United States? None in today's world. Go back in time 100 years, though. We have malaria all over the place, definitely up here in Kentucky. Um, so so, we had, so we, we've been fortunate that we don't have to worry about malaria or getting malaria in the United, here in the United States anymore. But we still see 1,500 or so cases. Now, of those 1,500 or so, how many of them do you think are short-term missionaries? Actually, not that many. Um, there are some. Most of them are people who have immigrated to the United States and go back home. They think, well, I never took malaria meds when I lived there. So they go back home and they get malaria. Um, and then they bring it back when they come back home from visiting their family or whatever they were doing there. Epidemiology. Talk a little bit about this. Um, the, the most recent statistics released by the World Health Organization uh, was their 2013 report, which looked at 2012 data. They estimated 207 million cases in 2012 worldwide of malaria. Of those 207 million, there were approximately 627,000 deaths. All these numbers are just vast Estimates, right? Um, we don't know for sure. But if you divide that out, 627,000 by 365, you get right around 1,700 deaths per day. Um, so this is a very devastating disease. 
Uh, malaria transmission, we kind of talked a little bit about this. Mosquito lifespan. Anyone know how long the average mosquito, the Anopheles mosquito, lives? One to two weeks on average. Males usually about a week. Females two weeks probably at best in the wild. Growing them in a laboratory environment, they can get them to live you know, up to about four weeks. But usually in the wild, the adult stage, the flying around mosquito, is about two weeks. Ambient temperature. Any idea why that matters? What's that? Yeah, reproductivity and um, also from the time it takes to go from the egg stage to an adult. So, so reproductivity is, is right. Um, actually, warmer tropical climates, it takes longer to go from that egg stage to the adult. Um, if you look at a place like Mexico, where it's maybe not quite as, as hot as some areas, um, getting down closer to the equator, but that egg stage can take only, egg stage to adult is only about five days, so you get more generations, um, potentially more mosquitoes. Population density um, of, of humans plays a big role. Mosquito biting habits we talked about, host immune response we talked about, and then drug activity. As, we t as we'll go through this, this session, you'll, we'll talk about some drugs we don't really use a whole lot anymore because of increased resistance, um, depending on the area. So drug activity plays a big role about being able to control um, malaria. There's two types of malaria transmission. There's stable malaria and unstable malaria. Um, for, the, for the most part, a lot of the world it would be considered stable malaria, and that's where there's intense year-round transmission, where you go out in January, February, March, April, doesn't matter, you're likely to come in contact with a mosquito that's carrying malaria. Other parts of the world are more of a seasonal thing, and that's where we see this, this unstable malaria. Um, where we get more of a seasonal sort of, of malaria that occurs. Why this is important is in places where there's stable transmission, year-round transmission, when people are constantly getting bitten by these mosquito, mosquitoes carrying malaria, you can actually start to, to build up some resistance, some immune response to that. And so you don't necessarily see um, those patients necessarily having symptoms as frequently. Where we have more of a seasonal thing, you don't really, your body doesn't really have a chance to build up a good immune response in all cases. So if you get bit just every February and March by malaria-carrying mosquitoes, but the other 10 months of the year they're not around in your, your country or your area, you might not, or you'll probably be more likely to see symptomatic malaria. Does that make sense? So we do see some buildup of immunity when you're constantly infected. And so that's why th those people who go back to, you know, if they immigrated here from Honduras and they go back to Honduras for Christmas, why they think, well, I never got malaria when I lived in Honduras. Well, that's because a lot of times in those countries, they're just constantly getting bits. So they build up this immune response. They live in the United States where we don't have malaria for two, three, four, five years. They've lost that immune response. So now it makes it more likely for them to get malaria. So that's those 1,500 or so cases, that's where we see them coming from. That's your typical sort of patient. Um, innate immunity. I mentioned earlier that patients who have sickle cell disease usually have some increased resistance to getting malaria. There's others, um, glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency. We'll talk more about that because that comes... To, in a little bit, that, that's very important 
with one of the medications that we use to treat malaria. And if you try to find out if your patient has this deficiency, thalassemia and then ovalocytosis. All four of these kind of have different mechanisms of how they actually provide some protection. But in general, they make it more difficult for that plasmodium um, of, of, of whatever species to infect the red blood cells of the body. Um, ovalocytosis, the, the red blood cells become just very um, tough. It's tough for that, um, for that infection to get into the red blood cells in that case. Um, acquired immunity, and we talked a little bit about this um, already. Areas of stable transmission as well. You don't see as much in newborns. You don't see as much malaria in newborns because that mom passes on her immunity to the baby for the first six months or so of life. Um, so, you, so that those maternal antibodies that were in that mother are passed on. Adults um, in these areas, it's not that they won't get malaria, but like I mentioned, the symptoms usually will not be se severe. And then without reinfection, the immunity starts to wane. So that's those patients who we see who lived in a malaria endemic region, move away, and then go back. They've lost that. Um, pregnancy, severe illness, and surgery decrease the, the immune response that a patient has. So a lot of times if a patient comes in for surgery, for whatever reason, he or she may then a month or two later develop malaria because of that surgery blocked some of their immune response to malaria. And so a lot of times we'll see those in some of our patients. Pregnancy. Um, in pregnancy, you never know. But a lot of times in pregnancy, you're going to see some very severe cases of malaria. And so those need to be considered. Um, you also have decreased birth weight. If, if, a, if a mom had very severe pregnant or very severe malaria during her pregnancy, a lot of times the, that baby is going to not be as strong when it's born. And so you will see increased infant malaria in a mother who had malaria symptoms um, while, she was, while she was pregnant. Things to watch for. Anemia, very important in our pregnant women. Um, hypoglycemia is also very important. Um, to watch for. Some of the medications that we can actually use to treat malaria in pregnancy, there's not a whole lot, but some of those actually increase hypoglycemia, so in those patients we really have to be careful. Um, pulmonary edema, fetal distress, premature labor, and then stillbirths are other things that we have to watch for in our pregnant women. All right, so moving quickly on to getting closer to medications. All patients, if they have malaria symptoms, should be treated. Now, does this always happen? No. You know, whether it's access um, to medications, not understanding the symptoms, or just the idea, well, I've had malaria before. Ideally, in, in a perfect world, which we don't live in, we should treat all patients, or all patients should have access to medications. Um, many patients will also need antipyretics and analgesics. Acetaminophen, ibuprofen, usually are the two that we like to use um, the most when they're available. Why do we avoid aspirin in children? Rise syndrome, right, very good. Um, and then assess ABCs. Uh, sometimes the, our patients um, will have airway difficulties, um, so we have to, to, or breathing difficulties, so we have to be aware of that, or circulation, hypovolemia, uh, or not. They'll have hypovolemia, they can go into shock. So we have to watch some of our patients very, very carefully as we, as we treat the malaria. Um, continuing on with malarial management, 
Hypoglycemia, mentioned, usually most common in pregnancy, but can occur in anybody where their glucose levels drop very low. Um, bacterial co-infection, malaria is essentially attracting the attention of your immune system, which makes it easier for other bacteria to get in there and to infect you and cause more problems. So we see pneumonia quite often in patients with malaria um, and, and other infectious diseases. Dehydration, very, very important um, in these patients that we treat dehydration. If they have severe malaria, usually you're going to want to do IVs um, when, when available. If, if they have you know, maybe not so severe malaria, um, we still want to encourage them to drink Pedialyte or the electrolyte replacement therapies depending on the location where you are at. Um, oxygen mechanical vents may be necessary in some of the, the severe falciparum cases, and so those need to be watched. And then inotropic therapy to bring up their blood pressure um, also through whatever means possible. Again, depending on where you're at, you may not have access to good inotropic medic medicines. Um, so you need to use whatever options are available um, in those areas to bring that up. Yes? What is the mechanism causing the hypoglycemia? Is it the rupturing of the red blood cells? I don't know that anybody really knows. One of the theories is exactly that. What causes the hypoglycemia is that the red blood cells... Um, that they're rupturing, and so that for whatever reason, we see glucose not being used appropriately and just kind of going right on through the body. As far as I know, and there's not really good evidence one way or the other as to why that is. It just happens. Um, but it would be interesting to figure out why. Um, in the long run, doesn't matter, doesn't not matter is probably why it hasn't been researched a whole lot. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to correct hypoglycemia out of some of the, the problems. Um, but, yeah, as far as I know, no one's really sure why. Has anybody heard a reason? I've heard you have, you know, in calciferum, you have so much coagulopathy in the brain uh, that it's, it's the brain just demands so much. The brain's using up all that yeah. glucose, and that makes sense. So in falciparum, that we see just the brain using up glucose um, in a much larger extent. And that is probably part of it. You know, what the whole story is, it's probably not quite the whole story. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's definitely something, that hypoglycemia, that we, that we do need to watch for. All right. Mainstay of treatment for malaria in today's world are using what are called artemisinin-based combination therapies. Um, artemisinin um, is a compound that's usually used in combination with more of your traditional antimalarials. Medications that have been around for a long period of time. Um, so it's this combination therapy. Um, it's the treatment of choice for uncomplicated false apparent malaria. So those patients that don't have severe disease. We'll talk about severe disease in a little bit. Um, it helps also to reduce the spread of resistance. Kind of one of the same reasons we use it in TB. We use combination therapy in TB or HIV AIDS to help reduce the spread of resistance. You know, one of the things that we've seen over years over the years, is that a lot of our more traditional anti-malarials, depending on the, the area of the world that you're in, have shown increased resistance. So we also like to use the combination therapy to help prevent that. Um, however, um, I gave a similar talk here three years ago, and we didn't really have any known resistance three years ago to artemisinin-based compounds. There were some suspected. That's now been confirmed. Parts of Southeast Asia now have some um, resistance to artemisinin-based compounds. Um, so 
we, we, in those areas, we have to be careful using them because the, the patient may actually have malaria that's resistant. Um, Non-artemisinin-based combo therapies are not actually recommended by the World Health Organization at this time um, just because of these resistance patterns that we're seeing. So ideally, in a perfect world, again, we're treating malaria um, with a combination therapy. Currently recommended um, ACT therapy, artemisinin combination therapy, um, are listed here. Um, artemether plus lumefantrine, artesunate plus mefloquine, artesunate plus sulfadoxine, pyrimethamine, which usually is abbreviated SP. Um, that's a mouthful. And then artesunate plus amodiaquin. Those are the, the ones that are most often used. There's others currently being researched, so depending on where you're at, and if maybe you're in some sort of investigational study area, you might see others, um, and, and so those are definitely possible. All right, so let's kind of break each of these apart a little bit. Um, Artemether plus lumefantrine uh, usually is going to be going to a brand name of Coartem, but also may be called Riamet, depending on the area of the world in which you're at. Um, its indication, again, is for uncomplicated falsoparin malaria. Doses are, are listed there. This one's interesting from a dosing perspective because you give four tablets at zero hours, so the first time they get four tablets, and then eight hours later they get another four tablets, then 24, 36, 48, and 60. So it's, it's a somewhat complicated sort of regimen for some patients to take just because it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but it's, so it's, you get that initial dose and eight hours later, and then it kind of goes into an every 12-hour sort of, of dosing schedule. Um, adult doses, are, it's usually based on weight. Adult doses, adults weighing more than 35 kilos anyways, get those four tablets, and then it goes down from there. One of the other medic, um, pediatric patients, we can actually use these. Um, they're recommended in patients over five kilograms, so 12-ish pounds, um, Many babies can, can use these medications or infants, small children. Um, take with milk or fat-containing food. Anybody know why? Increases absorption, right. So this, the, these medications are best to take with some sort of food, preferably something with a little bit of fat in it um, or, or milk to increase absorption. Side effects. Patients usually um, will complain of a headache. This medication can increase the QT interval. If anyone, some of you obviously know things about EKGs, um, the QT interval can be increased in this. So one of the things that we might see is a patient complaining of, of heart palpitations. Um, I know in the field a lot of times we don't have EKG equipment available to, to put that on, um, but if you have a patient who's complaining of palpitations, you may, want to be, you may want to consider stopping this medication in them because they could go into a very serious arrhythmia. Fever, chills, kind of differ, hard to differentiate, malaria um, versus a side effect of this medication. And then you have your typical GI, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and sleep disturbances as well. Contraindications, I don't know that there's a lot of people in, in most of the developing world that knows if they have QT prolongation or not, um, but this is a contraindication, so... Again, I think you'd be very few and far between that you would actually know a patient has QT prolongation coming in. Children, we can use it. Um, just use that weight-based appropriate dose for them. Pregnancy and lactation. At this point in time, there's not really enough evidence one way or the other to say yay, yay or nay. Um, it's thought 
um, to be safe, but there has been limited testing looking at it, so it's very difficult to say. It comes down to that risk versus benefit. Availability, U.S. And, and worldwide. So this is one that we can't actually use in the United States. We can't actually get in the United States and is available, again, in, in a lot of the world, depending on, you know, location. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, the local pharmacy may or may not have it or, or health department, health clinic may or may not have it, but it is widely available. All right, our testunate plus mefloquine. Who's heard of mefloquine? Very, very commonly used um, if you're going on a trip um, as a prophylactic medication. So you will see our testunate plus mefloquine um, as well to treat a person with malaria. Um, dose, um, for those over the age of 13, so this one isn't really weight-based. This one's more how old is the patient. Um, the recommended dose is 1,300, I'm sorry, is for a 13-year-old or over is 200 milligrams a day for three days. And then mefloquine, that's of the artesunate, 200 milligrams a day for three days. Mefloquine doesn't start until day two. So the second day of therapy will actually give mefloquine 1,000 milligrams. That's a pretty hefty dose of mefloquine. Um, and then 500 milligrams on day three. So overall, this combination therapy is just a three-day therapy. Um, and the last one was, was, what, 60 hours. So pretty much short-term sorts of things for uncomplicated malaria. Pediatrics, then, we're just using lower doses. This one um, is recommended down to five months of age. Theoretically, probably could be used in younger children than that, but it's really only ever been studied in children um, down to five months in, in age. Side effects. Um, for the most part, it's, it's GI. This one is tolerated pretty well. Now, one of the things, mefloquine. What side effect do we usually think about being with mefloquine? It's always in the news. What's that? Nightmares, dreams, psychiatric sorts of stuff. Um, this is the one that's always in the news. Somebody was on anti-malarial therapy and did something bad. Um, mefloquine is, is, it can be that medication. Mefloquine is, though, the drug that I take. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily bad. Very, very few and far between we see that. The, the psychiatric dreams and, and other sorts of, of mental things we see less often in these patients. Now, there, there's two theories as to why we see fewer of those side effects. One, it's, it's short-term. Um, you're just taking two doses of it, essentially. So if you're taking mefloquine as a prophylaxis medication, even if you're just gone a week, you're taking it for five or six weeks, depending if you start one or two weeks before you're gone. Um, so so you'll, you'll see that, I'm sorry, six or seven weeks. So that's one of the theories. The other one um, is that there's something with the artesunate that is blocking some of the CNS symptoms. We don't really know why. We just see it. So we don't worry as much about the sleep disturbances um, for the most part in, in these. But we can still see nightmares in some patients, just usually less. QT prolongation again. Um, children, we can use it. Just use the appropriate dose. Um, pregnancy, we have seen, with this one, we have seen some um, teratogen, teratogenic properties um, in animal models, so it usually probably want to stay away from this one. Lactation, unknown. Um, the thing I always you know, keep in mind, though, is we have data down to using this in kids to five months old. A lot of those are, would, you know, would be the same ones who are, are getting breast milk, so Probably okay, but again, be careful. Um, availability, artesunate. 
In the United States, we don't, we can't get oral artesunate. And IV artesunate, you, or IV artesunate, you can only get from the CDC. So you can't get it real easily um, at the, the local pharmacy or even at hospital pharmacy. They have to contact the CDC and have it shipped up directly. Um, however, in, in much of the world, especially in large cities and the endemic areas, uh, this is readily available and easily seen. Mefloquine is a med that you can get just about anywhere, um, depending on, on the actual location. But again, United States, mefloquine, um, many of us have taken for short-term trips, and so is, is available and out there. All right, artesunate plus pure methamine. Um, this one has come out. The World Health Organization actually does not really recommend this one anymore if you have other options available. Reason for that is we see a lot of resistance to the sulfadoxine pure methamine um, component. So we only recommend, the, the World Health Organization only recommends this one when we have a 28-day cure rate. So after 28 days of you using just sulfadoxine pure methamine of at least 80% that we use this combination. So again, we are seeing increased resistance to the SP component, and so we, we want to be careful using this in combination. And the World Health Organization, like I mentioned, this is not one they actually recommend using anymore if you have, if you have other options available. Um, adults um, and, and pediatric patients, again, can, can both use this. We have data supporting its use, again, down to five months of age. Um, some docs will try lower than that, though, as well, and, and have been fine. Um, side effects, GI, again, is, is what you usually see. Contraindication, sulfa allergy. If, if you have someone who, that you know, and again, many times you're not going to know if they have a sulfa allergy until they might take this medication, um, but this one they should stay away from. Renal failure or hepatic failure as well should not use this one. Children, again, can use it down to five months of age. Pregnancy, um, we do have a definite teratogenic potential um, with, with the, the sulfadoxine pure methamine, and so it's contraindicated. Lactation as well is contraindicated in, in this one. Um, SP is, is usually available. Um, artesunate we already talked about. But SP is usually available, except in the United States. We can't get sulfadoxine pure methamine um, here in the United States unless you try to get it as an investigational drug, which even, again, in today's world, we have better options available than, than this medication. Artesunate plus amodiaquin. Another combination therapy. Um, this one also um, has kind of this, this limit of it that we can only use it where the amodiaquin cure rate is about 80%. Um, so there are some parts of, of Western Africa is about the only place where we still see that um, holds true. So this one's kind of very region-specific that we could probably only want to use it in, in parts of Western Africa, um, Ghana, other areas, surrounding areas right in that, that area. Adults, children, um, this one can be used, and it can actually be used in children less than one year old. It doesn't really have a, a lower limit. We can use this theoretically in all kids. Side effects, predominantly GI and sleep again. So nothing much new. Contraindications, for the most part, unless you had some sort of reaction to amodiaquin, um, previously um, is, is something that you'll see, neutropenia, White blood cells going down is something that you might see um, with amodiaquin as a side effect, um, potentially with this one. Children, 
pregnancy or, or children, um, use appropriate dose. Pregnancy, this is one we can use, but not recommended for that first trimester. So second, third tri- trimester, um, this is one that we can't actually use. Lactation, probably all right. Again, we can use it in children, so the, the theory is we've never shown that there's been any, any harm um, here. Again, availability, for the most part, because of resistance patterns, pretty much you're just going to find this medication in Western Africa. All right, so what do we do with areas of artemisin resistance, um, those areas of Southeast Asia predominantly? What can we do for those patients? The World Health Organization um, is recommending now that in addition to ACT, those therapies we just talked about, that patients get Primaquin. How many of you have heard of Primaquin? Pretty commonly used for malaria treatment as well. Um, So Primaquin now is recommended um, as a one-time sort of dose on the first day of treatment, except to pregnant women and children under the age of one. So that, that's just come out in the last year, maybe probably two years ago now, um, that they've, they are now, because of artemisinin and resistance, mostly in Southeast Asia, that they're now recommending using Primaquin as well as ACT therapy. All right, so let's, while we're on it, let's just talk about Primaquin a little bit. Um, indication is treatment of malaria. A lot of times we've seen this for patients who've had ovale or vivax malaria. Those are the two that commonly get into the liver and just kind of hang out and reemerge and infect, cause, cause symptoms sporadically. Maybe, maybe a couple weeks after they had their first malaria, maybe a couple months, a couple years. Um, it just comes out occasionally and is causing some malaria. So treatment of liver stage um, malaria is a lot of times where we'll, we've seen this one in the past. But it's actually effective um, even in, in an acute situation. Um, doses uh, again for malaria, it's, it's half a, or I'm sorry, a quarter of a milligram per kilogram um, daily for 14 days. Um, if you have liver, so if you're trying to treat that vivax or ovale where it's hiding out in the liver, you might use up to a half milligram per kilogram. Um, pediatric patients, um, we we typically use this one in patients greater than four years old. Um, for the treatment of, of malaria or um, uh, the patients with life, liver stage malaria. Side effects, predominantly GI. Patients who should not get this are those who are G6PD deficient. Now, I imagine many of you have heard of G6PD deficiency. We talked about it. It's one of those things that's usually a little bit protective um, against getting malaria, but you can still get it sometimes. Um, now, a lot of times you're not going to be able to test, depending on where you're at for this deficiency. Um, what this causes is a hemolytic anemia. Basically, you, the hemoglobin ruptures and breaks down, so you get a severe anemia. can be fatal. There have been only something like 13 cases, I think, in the last 60 years of, of, of fatal problems with this medication. So it's, it's pretty unlikely, but it is possible. Simply stopping this medication, if you have a patient who develops a severe anemia in that 14-day course, is usually going to reverse itself and correct. Primaquin gets in and out of the body very rapidly, um, so stopping this medication, getting it out of the system, is going to help these patients out. Um, Children, we can use it those over the age of four. 
Pregnant women um, is not recommended, or lactation not recommended, usually because it's, it's very difficult, especially in the case of pregnancy, is that baby that's inside the mom, is that baby deficient or not? May or may not be. It is a, a, an X-linked carrier, so, um, so it may or may not be. Um, looking at um, f- uh, children, same sort of thing. We're, it's largely going to be unknown as well as, as if that patient is G6PD deficient. Availability is, is worldwide. So Primaquin is out there. Many of you have seen it before. Maybe some of you have even used it before. All right, let's take a breather for a minute and do a quick review. Which of the following recommendations should be made for someone who's receiving artemether plus lumefantrine? A, take with a, a meal that contains milk or fat, or take on an empty stomach. A, right, take with milk or fat. This is that one that increases absorption in the presence of milk or fat. Which of the following statements is correct regarding artemisinin-based compounds for the treatment of malaria? A, lots of resistance worldwide. B, lots of resistance in the U.S. I needed a fourth option. Um, C, should only be used if a patient cannot tolerate mefloquine. Or D, generally more effective if given with another antimalarial. D, right? Um, well, like there's A, there is resistance, but it's not a lot, and it's limited very specifically to parts of Southeast Asia. So we don't see a lot of worldwide resistance, at least at this point in time. Um, but again, three years ago when I was giving a similar talk on malaria medications here, we didn't even talk about resistance to artemisinin at that point in time. So who knows five, ten years down the road what is going to look like. U.S., you know, like I said, I just needed a fourth option. I didn't like just having three. Um, in an area in Western Africa, if, if an area in Western Africa has a known amodiaquine monotherapy cure rate of 60% for malaria, then which of the following statements is correct? Amodiaquine plus artesianate is a good choice to use or is not a good choice to use? Not a good choice to use. We're looking for at least 80%. Um, and then again, even then, usually we're going to have better options. Um, so it's not a good choice to use if the cure rate is only 60% based on a 28-day treatment. All right. Other medications that we can use um, for falciparum malaria, um, kind of as a second line, we could use – if. So these are usually used in cases if the first line didn't work. If one of those drugs that we just talked about, one of those combinations that we just talked about didn't work after 14 days, they can try a different regimen, a different ACT combination therapy can be tried. Um, they can try artesunate plus tetracycline, doxycycline, or clindamycin. Um, doxycycline is another one of those that some patients may take as a prophylactic medication. Um, patients and, and even some physicians here in the United States are usually surprised at that. Um, but doxycycline daily works pretty good, pretty well as a, a treatment or as a prophylactic medication. Um, or a patient can take quinine plus tetracycline and clindamycin. Um, quinine usually is poorly tolerated. It tends to have more side effects, and so patients don't like it as well. And so usually we try to stay away from the quinine just because a patient is, is usually fairly unlikely to take it every eight hours for seven days. Um, and then as well, we, we also need to keep in mind that doxycycline, tetracycline should not be used in pregnancy or in pediatric patients. Why is that? 
teeth and bones, right? Um, teeth usually get staining. Some bones, they don't usually, they, they may not develop as well, even with short-term um, doses of these. All right, treatment of severe malaria. What classifies a patient as having severe malaria? Anybody know? Symptoms. Pardon me? Seizures. Yeah, more than two convulsions. Uh, more than two seizures, definitely. Hypo, severe hypoglycemia, coma, um, shock, um, decreased consciousness, severe weakness where the patient can no longer walk, um, and they once could. Um, so, so severe malaria is just that. It's very severe. Um, and these are going to continue until the patient is well enough to switch to oral therapy. Um, so these all are going to have different different lengths of treatment depending on, on how well that patient responds. Treatment of severe malaria, uh, artesunate alone, it's a weight-based dose and is given IV um, at zero hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, and then just daily. Um, this is only recommended, or this is the recommended therapy in areas of low transition or non-malaria endemic areas. Um, and a recommended therapy in high transmission areas. So it's, it's, widely, it's widely recommended by the World Health Organization, both low transmission and high transmission areas. Um, and it is associated with a 35% relative reduction in mortality as compared to quinine. Quinine is kind of the gold standard. Even though it's not used a whole lot anymore, it's still the gold standard that a lot of these are compared back to. So we see a better, um, a better outcome with our testunate than quinine. Quinine, we can still use in patients with severe malaria. Um, so again, it is, is a loading dose, given IV over four hours, or you can also give this one IM. Watch out for that hypoglycemia. Um, so patients, whether you're pregnant or not, can get hypoglycemia with quinine. Pregnancy, much more likely to get that. Artemether. Um, another um, similar compound to, to artemisinin has very erratic absorption. So we're only recommended this one by the World Health Organization to use in high transmission areas. Um, so we'll see this one usually given IM at 3.2 milligrams per kilogram for one dose and then cut in half 1.6 milligrams a day until the patient starts feeling better. Quinidine, another IV infusion. This one requires cardiac monitoring. Not usually available in, in most of the world, right? Um, so quinidine is, is, is out there. It's an option. Um, but the IV form especially is going to require um, cardiac monitoring because quinidine a lot of times can be used as, as an antiarrhythmic. And so it has um, cardiac arrhythmia generating potential as well. The oral is less likely to cause those arrhythmias, but we can't rule it out but that's why we want to convert to oral as soon as possible. Typically, um, only we're going, only going to use it if the other forms that we've talked about are not available. Maybe in the United States, for example. Somebody has severe malaria in the United States, they're going to be in a hospital and they're going to be in a monitored bed. Um, so this drug a lot of times is limited to treating malaria in the United States, you know, Western Europe, places where we have good cardiac monitoring and it's readily available. Treatment of, of malaria in pregnancy or severe malaria in pregnancy, what can we do? Um, 
give the, the uh, parenteral agents that's used locally, whatever it may be, in full doses. So our testunate we can use in the second and third trimester. Artemether, again, is a second choice in the second or third trimester. Um, what do we do in a patient in the first trimester? Um, there's not a lot of good data. It's going to come down to risk versus benefits. Um, first trimester is when a lot of these compounds have shown teratogenic potential in animal models. So it's risk versus benefits um, at that point in time. Quinine um, is, is an option potentially, but we have to watch for that hypoglycemia. Um, very profound in pregnant women. Treatment of severe malaria follow-on treatment. So what do we do after um, they start feeling a little bit better or they're able to take oral medications? We want to complete at least seven days of treatment with an oral formulation of whatever parenteral drug they, they receive. So once they start feeling better, we can switch from IV to PO, but we want to continue that PO for at least seven days in time. Um, we can complete... Um, so, so we can do it with the oral formulation of the parental drug. And we also usually want to use doxycycline as well for seven days. Or in the case of a child or a pregnant woman, use clindamycin instead of doxycycline because of the risk that we talked about doxycycline previously. Alternatively, instead of, of doing those options or switching to the oral form of the IV med plus doxy, we could use a full course of one oral ACT therapy that we talked about at the beginning. So we could use one of those artemisinin-based combinations um, for the duration, whichever one we choose, three days, four days, um, however long that may be. All right, so what do we do in the United States? If somebody has malaria, those 1,500 or so patients. Um, we mentioned that many drugs that, that we've talked about are not necessarily readily available. We have to contact the, the CDC in order to get them. They can usually get them to you, whatever hospital you may be in, within 24 hours. So it's not really a, you know, a, it's going to take weeks or months or anything like that to get them. Um, it's just a phone call to the CDC, and they'll, they'll ship them up. Interestingly, um, the guidelines, and I didn't put them in here because I didn't want to confuse everything, for that the CDC recommends are different than what the World Health Organization recommends. Um, I've kind of always, good, bad, and different, I don't know, I've always defaulted when, when teaching malaria treatment to the World Health Organization guidelines. I figure they have much more experience in, 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 in treating malaria than the CDC necessarily does here in the United States with, with 1,500 cases. You know, 1,700 people die of malaria a day in the rest of the world, and we treat 1,500 cases here in the United States. Usually none of those die, a um, handful or so um, a year at best, or at worst, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, um, might die here in the United States. Usually if they're getting treatment here, we don't, we don't see most of the complications that we see in a lot of the world. Vaccines. Wow. Um, hot topic. Um, malaria vaccines. I can remember um, I was at a pharmacy conference probably 10, 12 years ago now. And there were, I won't tell you who, but there was a big drug manufacturer that had a giant place and giant signs. And they were touting this vaccine they had for malaria. And, 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 and what it boils down to is malaria is very tough to develop a vaccine to. I'm not a vaccine specialist. I don't understand all the ins and outs necessarily. Um, but it's, 
um, that plasmodium species is a tough species um, to make a vaccine to. Viruses, we're pretty good at making vaccines against viruses. When we start making them against protozoans, it's, it's very tough. Um, we, we think it's available. There's just not one commercially available right now. The one that's, that's hot is this RTSS um, vaccine. Currently, it is just wrapping up phase three trials. They're actually phase three trials are done. They're now doing the data collection, and, and the manufacturers are actually saying um, that that data collection should be fully available yet this year. So end of 2014, newsflash is pretty much here. Um, so it, it's expected pretty much any day we will have full data, and then this will go on to the FDA, World Health Organization, for all of them to look at and, and to decide whether or not this is something that's going to be used in the world. Um, Looking at some of the, the preliminary data that's been released, it's shown a 51% um, effectiveness rate in reducing um, falciparum malaria in infants at age 5 to 17 months. Um, 51%, to me, is pretty good. Um, when you look at malaria in the world, if we're able to decrease infant mortality 51% with malaria, that, that's pretty good. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the FDA looks at this vaccine Usually the FDA is looking for much higher reduction than 51%. Um, so so it'll be, it, it's, it's kind of going to be interesting to see what happens with this one in the coming year or two. Um, hopefully, again, hopefully the data that they show, um, once all the data is released, that, that it was very effective. If, again, if we can decrease infant mortality just, just 51%, that's huge. Um, that's the, the big chunk of, of patients who we see who die of falciparum are infants. Um, so I, I, to me, I think it's, it's very, very potentially beneficial to that patient population. All right. Right on time. Ten minutes left or so for questions. And if you don't have questions, I have some for you. Yes? So, so what's the recommended prophylaxis? Depends is the right answer. Um, depends completely on where you're going. Chloroquine is, is the one that's, that's most recommended if you're going to the Caribbean and parts of Central America. Pretty much outside of that small area, chloroquine is resistant, or malaria is resistant to chloroquine. Um, however, physicians here in the United States, and I've seen this several times, I don't work retail pharmacy much at all, but I've seen um, somebody who's going to Kenya and the physician wrote for chloroquine. Um, that's not a good choice to use. Um, CDC's website is, is the, the best source of information on resistance patterns. Literally, you can go to CDC, um, you can search for malaria, or you can search for the country. If you search for malaria, it's going to take you to a page, and then you can scroll down. They, they change it, but the last I looked, it was bottom right, and you can pick the country out. Um, where the patient is going, and then it's going to tell you um, your options. Mefloquine is usually the one that, that's most recommended. It's very inexpensive. Um, you just have to watch out for some of the, the cardiac, if the patient has known cardiac arrhythmia disorders, um, or if the patient has some psychiatric histories. Those are the only two patients that we really say don't use mefloquine. It's once a week, so it's easy. Doxycycline is another one that, that a lot of times is recommended. Um, the, it's, it's daily. Some patients like taking medication. It's easier to remember to take it every day instead of every Monday. Um, doxycycline, one of the potential side effects that you have to watch for is photosensitivity. Um, so, you know, make sure that that patient 
nose sunscreen, right? Because malaria, usually in highly photo, highly photo areas. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying. The sun's out. Yes? Um, can you say a little bit about these counterfeit malaria medications? And is there a country of origin you would specifically tell travelers to avoid if they can? It's, it, what, I'm actually in Cameroon, and we did some studies, and there was 30% false Malaria medicines mm-hmm. and the packaging look just like they're Sure. Um, when it, counterfeit medications are a problem, and, and it's not just malaria meds, it's all meds um, in the world. As far as country of origin, of, uh, are you saying like where these are being manufactured? I, I, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, as far as counterfeit meds are out there, it's, it's why right now, if you're practicing in the United States, we see a lot of medications are tough or some medications are tough to get. The FDA is going into some of these places and saying, hey, is this really what you're saying is putting into it? The FDA has traditionally, and this is just FDA, so I'm not really answering your question, but I don't necessarily have a good answer to that. But the FDA, what, what they've traditionally done is they've gone in and just looked at the large, large manufacturing areas in these countries. But a lot of these countries then, or these manufacturers of, these, in, of drugs in these other countries will farm stuff out to smaller um, uh, manufacturers, and then it gets back here. So now the FDA is actually going out into some of these smaller uh, manufacturers that are actually the ones really producing the meds and finding out that, that they're not always, they don't always have the right amounts of the, what they say in there. Um, I haven't heard of, of anything that one part of the world is worse than the other um, because it's, it's like anything else. It's like counterfeiting money, counterfeiting anything. It, it can be produced in anywhere, and you slap a label on it, and it looks like it came from India, but maybe that counterfeit med was really produced in Pakistan. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tough thing. rule as to how to tell what's what. Um, it's it's kind of, yeah, based on what you said. It's If, if your patients aren't responding the way you hope they would. In, in the States, if you're purchasing in the States for prophylaxis and travel, sure. I mean, would you still have confidence in focused traditional retail versus yep. Internet? Yep. Oh, I, I definitely do retail versus, versus Internet. So if you're doing prophylactic treatment here in the United States, um, that's your best bet. Now, if you're doing prophylactic treatment and you forget your medications at home, and so then you're going into the local pharmacy there, you know, um, again, it's, it's like was mentioned, it's going to depend on, on that individual country, the regulations in play. Most of the world doesn't have the same, especially the malaria endemic world, doesn't have the same regulations that we take for granted, you know, that are, are protecting our med supply. Can I, can I yes, of course. Sure. He is the medical provider for the patients that come to him. 
and so he knows which things work. Um, we have, I, I lived in Ethiopia for a long time, and our big problem was that India would often send us the bad medications. So we never bought anything from India. Okay. We would buy from Cyprus or other countries, but we would not buy from India. And um, the local doctors would not prescribe drugs that were produced in India. Um, our local, locally produced drugs were better. Um, I worked with the Anti-Malarial Association in Ethiopia, and um, I was responsible for getting Artemisia, the plant, mm -hmm. to people with no medication, no health care. Um, and so I, I have a malaria spiel that I give out to all short-termers. And that is that malaria mosquitoes bite only at dusk and dawn. You mentioned dusk, but they also bite at dawn. Sure. At those hours, no one is under a bed net. And the only reason we have indication that bed nets work is because they're treated initially with, um, with insecticide. The Anopheles mosquito lands on the net even when it's not in use, fall to the ground dead, it's absorbed through their feet. Um, Anopheles mosquitoes are silent, so the mosquito you hear is not the one that's going to give you malaria. It's the tiniest mosquito. It only has to feed, you know, like once a week, so it dashes out of a hole in the wall that you can't hardly see, and it bites and then goes back, and that's it. And 50% of the Anopheles don't bite because sure. they're male. They so, just bite fruit. Um, right, they eat the fruit. Um, so those are things that are really important for people to know. Sure. Um, and it's not going to show up in most volunteers until they get back to America. Um, so the, your prophylaxis is really important. Um, and the prophylaxis is not just very important, but taking it for that full four weeks after? Um, because it's only hitting one life stage of, of, of those of that plasmodiums. Um, so the reason that we have um, we call it artemisinin. I've heard you say it a different way, just sure. because we're dealing with artemisia. Right. Um, artemisia, the plant has ten different anti-malarial compounds in it, and <coughs> it's been used for two thousand years in China with no resistance. Now we have resistance because a drug company who gives a whole lot of money to WHO, has taken artemisinin out of the plant. People have taken what um, Novartis throws out, taken it back to Africa, made a tea out of it, and given it to people as medicine, and it still cures both Vivax and what we call falciparum. Mm -hmm. um, it's an amazing uh, drug, and uh, artemisia... Um, uh, Anamed has um, an artemisia plant that has more medicine in it than any other. And um, people going to different countries can get the plant and use it. So my husband's an agriculturalist. He taught people how to, how to grow it, and I taught people how to make medicine out of it. Cool. So, so they drink like a tea, or is it? It's, it's like a tea. Um, you make a quart of it, uh, well, a liter in Africa. And um, you t you're supposed to take it four times a day. Three times a day, I found, works fine. Um, but we discovered in China it's also used for hemorrhoids. Sure. It works also. <laughs> you can breathe it in, and it helps with asthma. We had no other medication for asthma in many places. I, it was 
just like God made this for poor countries. It was the most amazing thing. And Anamed has all the, the data that you need in order to be able to use this um, so that you can go in and say, here is the, the, um, the, the medical data that it, um, sure. you can show to people. Good, good. One liter three times a day? No. <laughs> that would also help with dehydration. How long would you prophylax? Um, a month, yes, six months. So, oh, if you're going, if you're going, if you're going to be gone, um, most of the recommendations for for prophylaxis are for no longer than six months, um, because a lot of these medications that we've mentioned have effects on the liver. Now, doxycycline may be one that you can take longer. We have kids who take doxycycline for years for acne. Um, so doxycycline might be one. Again, kids over the age of eight. Um, um, so so. That might be one, but a lot of them you don't want to take if you're going to be a long-term sort of missionary. At least that's what, what the FDA and, and the regulatory bodies say. Back earlier in your lecture, you said any people who had malaria should be treated. Does treatment of someone who lives in an endemic area, does that decrease their long-term ability to develop immunity by living there? So, so if, if we treat somebody who is, is living in Ethiopia um, and gets malaria, are, are we going to see less response from, from an immunologic point of view in, in that, their body? That's a good question. Not that I know of um, because we're not really – we're just helping to treat and hit that actual response. The IgM um, immune globulin response should still be there because these medications aren't necessarily going to hit that, you know, the, the – I don't think so, would be my answer. Just, just a comment. I have a friend who's in Zambia right now who back in the 70s, I think it was, took an experimental uh, malaria vaccine. She, I mean, there was no, I mean, it never got developed and went out, but she does not take prophylaxis, and she spends lots of time in sure. Africa, and she has never developed Never gotten malaria. Yeah, and it's not that the vaccines that have been tried in the past didn't work. They didn't work well enough. Um, and, it, right, the percentage, the percentage that were helped wasn't well enough to meet most of the regulatory bodies what they wanted, their standards. So if you have other questions, I'll be happy to, to stand around. I don't think there's another one in here right away. So thank you for your attention. Um, again, if you want the slides, they're posted online that you can look at.